Sam Rossiano and Michael Lucas. Which one do you prefer? I'll tell you which one you prefer. The one I prefer. This is Emsolation. The night before my wedding, I walked in and there was Em and Adrian. What was going on? I am openly whoring stuff and you guys will applaud it. There are these weird parallels at times with you and Trump. There's a whore in the house. You're in Emsolation. So, Chris, um, we all know you're circumcised. Tell us more. Hello, darlings. Welcome to another episode of Emsolation. I love being in your ear. It's quite an intimate thing podcast, isn't it? I realised... It's, it is just me and you. It's very quiet and, it, and we're having this conversation and it's not like listening to the radio or taking a TV show. It does feel like you and I, and we are just two friends sitting having a chat before we bring in our other friend, Michael Lucas. I'm feeling better today. Thank you. I've had a few people contact me after Tuesday. Oh, you know, this is like, this is my therapy. Because I can't get on stage, God knows. Just usually the way I work through trauma is I pop on a sparkly leotard and sing some songs about it in front of you guys while clutching a bottle of rosé. I mean, that's that's my brand. <laughs> but now I guess I just sit down a couple of times a week with my tiny microphone in my hand and I'm sitting up in the spare room. It's kind of overcast in Melbourne today and um, it's still in my pyjamas, truth be told, still in my PJs. And I confess to you guys how I'm feeling. And, you know, when, when that, that listener called me out on not doing these opening kind of monologue bits anymore, I realised it was because I didn't really want to talk about how I was feeling. I was deflecting because, you know, this is our time. This is where I, I let you know how things are going in isolation slash insulation. So, yeah, I'm better today. I am. I had, as I said, a really rough weekend and, to be honest, a rough Monday, Tuesday <laughs> And I've had to look deep into my kind of why, what's been going on. And obviously for me, the trigger was all the miscarriage stuff, talking about it and reliving it. And then, you know, also I had been having real career crisis in terms of last year, I had the biggest tour of my life. Raging Rainbows was hugely successful, sold out theatres all around the country. I played to the most people I ever have. And, um, you know, I wrote original songs. We had costume changes. We we had the 12 Dancing Volvers. It was huge. And I was so proud of it. And I put, you know, I gave birth last year also. And, and, and I put so much work into setting up 2020 to be massive for me career-wise. And, and I had the TV special, which went really well on Channel 10. And then <laughs> 2020 happened. Did you know? Did you know there's been an international pandemic? And everything I felt like I worked for and set up just went down the shitter, basically. <laughs> and I had to quickly figure out other ways to support my family and, and keep myself going. And that has been, it's been hugely exhausting, to be honest. And you all know, all of you have had to quickly pivot and tread water and, and figure out a new way. You know, it's it's just been this constant wake up of, okay, what's next? What's next? And I haven't been able to tour and I haven't been able to get out and do the things I normally do. And I've been really worried. And my career now has gone back into other people's hands, other people deciding if I'm right for things. Whereas I was, uh, for a long time, I've been able to make my own magic. So I think I've really been grappling with all of that. But, you know, I kind of came to the uh, realisation that I need to just put on another performance online like I did before the end of the year. I think restrictions are going to lift here again in a couple of weeks and I'll be able to get together a COVID-safe studio situation and put on something for you guys before the end of the year. And um, 
We've booked in tour dates for next year. I'm sceptical. I don't know how we're going to make it happen. But I think next year's tour is just going to be possibly just Dad and I, if that's okay. I think I just have this unbelievable desire to strip things back again. <laughs> because Rage Rambos did nearly kill me. Um, you know, I, I might bring a couple other musicians with me, but I, I just feel this need to get back out to you guys as quickly as possible with as little complication as possible. I mean, I'll still obviously be in a gown. But I just, yeah, I feel the need to kind of get back to doing what I love without the bells and whistles, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. Who knows? I could end up flying in on a trapeze. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess this is just my way of saying thank you for letting me work through my shit because, like I said, normally I do it on stage in a leotard, but instead I'm in my pyjamas on the spare bed with 5% battery life left on my laptop and no power. <laughs> This is the reality of the podcast. But I love doing this. I mean, the the greatest thing to come out of this year for me professionally has been this podcast. It's been such a revelation. And um, the fact that you guys choose this. But there's so many podcasts. Obviously, everyone started a podcast in lockdown. Everyone started a podcast and everyone started jogging. I did both those things. So um, it means a lot to to me and to Michael uh, that you guys choose us because you have a lot to choose from. That being said, please recommend us. If Emsolation has helped you in any way, if you can send it off to friends. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. That looks good for us in the eyes of the charts. And follow us on um, uh, Spotify. You get alerted every time an episode drops. So it doesn't cost you any money. You just subscribe and there you go. Just lets people know you think we're ace. All right, I'll bring Michael in now. Have a great day. I mean, I'm going to talk to you again in a couple of minutes. But this is just me signing off from the spare bedroom in my pyjamas, as I said. And now we're going to go into Michael. Okay. Play the music. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. Oh, my gosh. If people knew. <laughs> this is our fourth attempt. Is it our fourth today? Pretty much. The amount, <laughs> the Venn diagram of technical <laughs> problems that have besieged today. <laughs> The only way to appreciate it, go back and watch the movie Apollo 13 and how they brought those spacemen back exactly. using all their slide rulers and calculations. That's pretty much what it's taken to get this podcast on. It's fine. Here we are. You're in a very quick lunch break from your busy day. I've had to drive elsewhere to get a signal. It's fun times. Um, but we're doing Trump-free zone today, totally just talking about fun stuff to occupy your life with. You know, we don't need to address him um, we just all decided that we needed a break. We needed to banish him from our brains, <laughs> yes. if possible. If possible. Uh, over the weekend, I really um, went into my own little hole, and as, I, as I'm prone to do, uh, and I watched a lot of television when I wasn't with the baby. And one series that I've been particularly looking forward to finally dropped. It's called Song Exploder mm-hmm. on Netflix, and it's a very popular podcast. You're listening to Song Exploder, where musicians take apart their songs and piece by piece tell the story of how they were made. My name is Rishikesh Hirway. There's two song um, podcasts I listen to that, that kind of go through all the stems. There's one called um, Dissect, which is amazing. He is so thorough, the guy who does Dissect, and he's done Kanye West, he's done Kendrick Lamar, and he does track by track, stem by stem, where the artist was in their life. Like, it's Uh. amazing. So Song Exploder is a little more general in the way that um, the guy who – Rishikesh Hirway, 
I hope I said it right, Rishikesh, that's how he's, the guy who's this gentle, lovely human runs Song Exploder. He's got such a lovely manner about him, don't you think? Oh, yeah, I'm obsessed with him. By the way, I just need to add in there's one more that I don't think even you are aware of, which is on Spotify and I think it's called Behind the Groove and it's the Madonna. It's the Madonna one by a British gay. Actually, I don't even know that he's gay, but I'm just going to presume. And he, it's incredible. He breaks down the songs and takes all the stems and he also has access to all these leaked raw vocal takes where she's figuring out the melody. It's Mm. amazing. Anyway, I'm I'm obsessed with them all. Me too. All of these things. But this guy is the best host. I want him to branch into other things. He's so calming. Super calming. And you could tell even – so the first kind of episodes with Alicia Keys, and she is someone I would describe as human Valium also. Like she is 100%. someone who's very – who never talks above this kind of tone. I imagine when she's disciplining her three sons, it's like, guys, stop being dickheads, come inside, let's have some tea and talk about our feelings. She's That's also how- someone who for some reason has stayed exactly the same age for about two decades now because <laughs> you yeah. auditioned, didn't mm. you do – you yep. did her on Idol. Yeah. And I, I remember did. her singing that song. And she looks exactly, everything's exactly the same, yeah. except she wears less makeup now. Yeah. If I ain't better. got you, if I ain't got you. She's a prolific songwriter. She's incredible. And it's interesting, before she had children, she never collaborated. She always did solo stuff. But then mm. since having kids, she wants to be a collaborator. And she's very popular in my house. We've all loved, we all love Alicia Keys. And so I was so excited that was the first episode. But the thing for me is it, it makes the songs Songs that you've known, like in this case, I didn't really know this song she'd done with Sampha. Um, I know him. My kids it's, love Sampha. It's new, him. isn't it? I spent mm. the whole time going, how have I missed this one? But I think it's only just released. No, it's actually oh. a couple years old. I oh, think it's almost, it? yeah, oh, three okay. years old, in fact. I think it's, yeah, because she kind of wrote it when her three-year-old was just born. So, oh. yeah, it was a little while ago. But this, this, the, the process of hearing songs that you've heard a lot. So R.E.M., Losing My Religion, is one of the songs. Michael Stipe being as dickheadish as always. He didn't disappoint. Um, (laughs) A song that I have heard so many times in my life after watching this one episode. It started by saying, it's like we can't even remember a time before Losing My Religion. And that's true. I can never remember a time without that song. But I always thought it was a political statement. I always thought it was Stipey just making a comment on the Catholic Church. But it's Mm. not. It's about unrequited love we've now learned from Song Exploder. Mm. The sentiment losing my religion is actually a southern kind of statement of, of like, you know, just saying, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that's happened. I've lost my religion. You know, it's like a... I've lost my faith. Mm. Like it's, it's actually not a statement on physically not believing in God anymore. No, it's not burn down the church, which is pretty much how <laughs> I interpreted it. <laughs> but as I was watching it, I mean, the idea... As someone, uh, someone getting a hold of my stems is terrifying, and I saw the fear on all the artists' faces. Stems are the individual tracks in, and you got your bass stem, your drum stem, your vocal stem. I know you know because you're a music nerd, but for people who don't know, so all the individual tracks that make up the whole picture of the song, and they're often recorded cold. So your vocal's cold, everything's cold. And so to hear, to know that a third party has your stems rifled through. But, any, it's like, Michael, if you wrote a first draft and hadn't done any editing, yeah, it was sent out to read. Like, it, it's you feel very vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> so the fact that he's able to put these artists at ease straight away, the straight away you can tell they feel safe that he's got their very precious stems in his hands. Mm. And I just, 
watching it just made me – I cried. I don't know why I yeah, cried. Yeah, I cried too. I cried a lot. <laughs> I cried I, – we should just say that the, the Alicia Keys' first one is just emotional anyway because she's talking about she's just had a baby and the, and her co-writer came in and he just Sam lost Faye, his yeah. mother. Mm. And then as the course of the episode goes on, they're sort of singing this song about uh, – writing, I should say, this so- love song. Mm. And then sort of she's concluding that she was singing towards her newborn baby and he was singing towards the mother that he just lost. And I was just I could not stop crying. Oh, and also same. the song is so filled with longing and it really mm. makes you love the song so much more, having having it broken down like that. Oh, it does. It also makes you hear it in a different way. And – I mean, obviously I was hotly anticipating the Lin-Manuel Miranda episode where they discuss my favourite song from Hamilton, Wait For It. It's just like the most powerful and a gear shift and it's like, and, and I loved hearing that he wrote it as a, an opposite to my shot, which is yes. you know about going for everything straight away, whereas um, Burr was holding back. And that line in Wait For It, my favourite line in any song, I'm not standing still, I'm lying in wait. Mm. Like uh, that, that lyric, I sing every morning. Like there's, there's a portion of Wait For It that is like my prayer at the moment. <laughs> it's a good it's, lockdown <laughs> prayer. It's, it's I, I get up every day and I sing, I'm inimitable, I am an original, um, like oh. I'm not falling behind, I'm running late, I'm not standing still, I'm lying in wait. This is, the, this is my little mantra where I'm singing about how I can't do her and I can't do all the things I want to do. I've become Burr. <laughs> so. <laughs> and I could believe you will challenge someone to the, a duel and kill them preemptively. I could Pretty totally much. see it happening. And that thing about we shouldn't judge him by the worst days, like we shouldn't judge him by where she got to at the end of lockdown. Oh, and when they talked to Lin-Manuel about where he was in that song and about, um, oh, no, he was the beautiful composer with the curly hair. What's his name? The other guy who wrote, who did the music in Hamilton. I can't remember his name. Yeah, you know the one. Yeah. The very lovely curly haired gentleman. He says, you know, he's not the villain. He just, he had a terrible day that resulted in a catastrophic shift for our history. Yeah. Um. But I just, that, that, the whole notion of breaking down this, oh my God, when Lynn Mama Miranda was explaining how he came up with the chorus going to a friend's birthday. All at once, the chorus came. I was on the train to my friend Jacob Robinson's birthday party and he was having drinks in Williamsburg. So for me, it's like a solid hour, even if the trains are there when you want them to be. Maybe this wasn't where we were in technology in real life, but I was at the moment where I still had a separate iPhone and an iPod because the iPod could carry more music. Um, so I was listening to the loop on the iPod. I listened to the loop and I listened to the loop and then the chorus landed just as I was getting to the party and I was like, I know, I know, in the train. And then he got to the party and he, and he, because he'd cracked it right before he went in. And they played the recording of him wandering around the streets singing the refrains oh, of the, the main melody. How and was then, the voice memo? Oh, I, I nearly died. And then he just went to the party and said, Happy birthday, had a drink, and then said, I'm so sorry, I've got to go. And then got back on the train and kept writing the song because he knew oh, he'd found it. As a singer, something like Lin Manuel Miranda is. He's not the strongest vocalist. Like I felt good about that. I was listening to that voice memo <laughs> thinking, I could almost do that. <laughs> but he doesn't know that. So you hear him talking about I how he, to that too. <laughs> he has like these regrets that he didn't play Burr, that he played Hamilton. And oh, then mate. my daughter my daughter and I were looking at each other and Chella goes, does he think that he could sing Wait For It like Leslie Odom Jr.? And I said, I think he might. Mm. <laughs> I think in Lynn's mind 
he can sing that, wait for it the way it needs to be sung. But, I mean, good on you for that. He just, that's the one, the one criticism I will ever have of Lin-Manuel Miranda is I don't think he's as strong a singer. And people could probably say that about me too, as he thinks he is. No, (laughs) you're an amazing singer. That was, thank you, that. that was, it's true. I mean, I know you don't have like some epic range of a bazillion octaves like Mariah Carey or something like How that. But you? you've got amazing <laughs> tone and, and an amazing quality to your voice and power. I would much rather listen to you sing than him sing. He's I'll a great rapper. And Let's I not take that away from him. love him. Yeah, what a slam poet. To see My God. hear you rap. Me? I can rap. I mean, I choose not to because I'm white, middle-aged mother of three. But come I come off rap. a bit like Madonna in American Life. Might well, not be so good. I mean, I did grow up listening to a lot of Salt and Pepper, Spinderella. Like Salt and Pepper defined a lot of the nineties for me. And I yeah. did what. And my mum used to come out and go after she'd hear me rap. Let's talk about sex. If only you knew times tables like you knew that. And I was like, oh god. Mm. <laughs> True. But the thing that I think the reason this song made me so sad is because I had a massive epiphany, and Scott was watching me as. And I'm like, that's what I really want to be doing. Oh, that's what I want you to be doing too. But you can write songs. That is, it is the talent I most wish I had in this world and I do not have it, but you do. The songs I put out are always a bit jokey because I'm scared to put out the music I'd really like to put out. And I feel, I'm getting emotional. I'm getting emotional even talking about it. I was was watching, I've been in sessions and broken down songs and written all the original songs for my last stand-up show. And I wrote all those and, and I've written songs before and, it is the most joyful process for me. It's the thing I enjoy most. I enjoy it more than live performance. I enjoy it more than anything is sitting in a room with other songwriters and putting mm. together music and that moment where you hit on the hook or you hit on the, on the melody and you all look at each other and it's electrifying. It's like, it's like falling in love a thousand times over in micro doses. It's just like, yes, yes, and you're all on the right. And when that flow happens and I was sitting watching them talking about it and looking at the passion in the songwriter's eyes and seeing them, even the REM guys were like, oh, I didn't even remember that bass line. I didn't even remember there were clappings in this. Like these guys haven't thought about the song in over 30 years mm. and, and this show brought the song even back to them. Don't you feel like they all fell in love with the song again? Mm. Oh, totally. And also it was the, it's the love between the people that wrote the song as well, like that special kind of love that they've created yeah. this indelible thing together yeah. and and sort of, you know, the magic of being in that room at that time, at that moment of creation is just. Oh. So, so you anyway. Do, you wrote Forged in the Flame. That's not a jokey song. That's oh. very emotional. I sing that to myself the way you sing Wait For It. <laughs> I know, but this, the kind of music I would make, the kind of the music I listen to, I listen to Neo Soul and that's it. I, I really, I was brought up. I mean, I wasn't really allowed to listen to white artists. Dad didn't really rate any white singers. Mm. So, because my father's a musician and obviously I grew up watching him play in a band and I've always been around music and musicians. So the music I grew up with always had a really strong soul base. Like the, the Blues Brothers soundtrack was, even though white people were involved, that was very much a big part of my growing up. So that's the music I kind of gravitate towards. But it's so hard to be a musician in Australia and pay the bills. Like it, it, I had to become a stand-up comedian to trick people into coming to see me sing like I had to, <laughs> to go on this <laughs> roundabout journey <laughs> because you know the songs I ram in there between the jokes but if I was truly speaking like absolutely honestly if I could just sing and just tell a little story in between songs like I 
Yeah, that show made you me can. sad in a way. Do mm, it. Nah. Do it now. Imagine what I'd have to do to trick people into getting to come and watch me sing. <laughs> I just need to physically pay them. People don't want that from me. I'm I'm not in that box of like people don't think, you know what, I'm not going to be remembered as a musician. Like I feel like I'm someone who is mastered music, mastered comedy, but never really got to the pinnacle top of either. And I don't know how that's ever going to happen. Like I can say with athletics, I got to the pinnacle. I trained really hard and I was the best at what I did at that point in time. But I can't get there with music because I can't read it or write it. So I have to kind of hum it into my phone and then find someone to make it for me. So I feel a bit like I've got this Ferrari engine but no car to put it in. Like I, I, I know I've got the, the in me but I don't – I can't drive it. <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same but, with my writing. I can't spell and I, I can't put sentences together properly but I have all these words in me. So it's, it's – Well, you clearly can write and you clearly can songwrite and obviously you can sing. I just think you have to just do it. Just lock yourself in a room with people that you love writing and just do it. What's the worst that can happen? I suck. And the one thing that I love the most in the world is out there and judgeable and people can say I'm bad at it and then I stop doing it. I you mean, going to go deep. You cannot be literally telling me that you refuse <laughs> to try the one thing yep. that you love most in the world because yep. you might suck. Not what be would you say about that? That's I'm sorry, just- if we just met, name <laughs> one thing I do that I'm not good at. I don't pursue things I'm not good at. You know that. You are good at it though. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. But it's a great show. Obviously, we've just spent like 20 minutes banging on about Song Exploder on Netflix. Do it. If you if you like music in any way, if you're a fan of music, it's just such, it's the greatest thing. And I just also, as we, as we try and move away from the Tangerine Cheeto Man, it was so relaxing to dive because it sort of takes you into the room where they made this stuff and I found it really absorbing to just mm. be in the spaces that they were in when they, yeah. when they were so creative and they were building yeah. something together and it was just such a, a good alternative to everything going on in the world to sink into this show. I loved it. Agreed. And that host, so calming. I want him to come around and just speak to me. Rishikesh, Rishikesh. Um, yeah. yeah, he's good. The whole thing. It's just nice watching people who are at the top of their game doing what they do. Like what a joy. It's like imagine what people feel when they watch football concerts, you know, like that's how they feel. That's how we when feel. When they watch football concerts. Yeah, that's what I call them. <laughs> <laughs> football games. Oh, like, football, like how I would concerts. call halftime interval. Yeah, correct. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Now, another show that deeply affected me. Oh, God, guys, we're emotional today. But it affected me in – it's – it's. I don't know. I just felt really represented. It felt – Rihanna had put on her Fenty Savage – Savage by Fenty show, Volume 2. And for those of you who are unaware, Rihanna has this whole other empire. Obviously, hasn't released an album in, what, five years? It's been five more? I can't even remember. Um, was the last one Auntie? I don't know. I think know. so. Yeah, it was. But she's sort of, Rihanna's always been more sort of like your singles artist to me. Like I know they get all get yeah. grouped together in albums, but it's not like Beyonce when there's a when the album releases the thing. It feels like she's just popping up with singles throughout the ages. It's hard to tell. Well, the thing about Rihanna is uh, Rihanna. I don't think she gets enough credit, especially not from Australians. I think Americans get how good she is, but. She's become this huge creative force. So she stepped away from music, but it should be noted, she was had no money. Like she'd had all these smash hits and done all these tours, but then was bankrupt. That's so crazy. It's crazy. 
and, and the question, you know, needs to be asked, and I'm sure it is, but she decided that she wanted to create something that was just hers, that wasn't music, because I think all her music was tied up in contracts. So she stopped releasing music and started building this empire, and it started out with makeup and stuff, and then she started with the lingerie. And the lingerie show that she put on, the first one she put on last year was this amazing extravaganza, and it was like a Victoria's Secret show if a goth you know, R&B, it was all the, it was messy and raw and really hot and sexual and they weren't all thin and shiny and it was very inclusive. But she's gone a step further with this one and I want to talk about how refreshing it was to see models walking in this lingerie and it's really saucy lingerie, like it's sexy, like it's, you know, mm. it's, right, it's, you know, bits of wire up your bum and stuff like it's, you know. <laughs> A lot of she, she is the singer who sang S&M and you could see it in her lingerie yeah. line. A lot of mesh involved, a lot of fishnet over thigh. Yeah. But um, the thing was it, it, there was stretch marks, there was cellulite, there was size 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 20 women. There were men, all different shapes and sizes and totally. colours of men, which would be an, a new thing for men to see, you know, not these perfectly. I mean, there were still abs. It should be pointed out. Yeah, don't worry. They, um, everything was represented. I mean, as soon as I've said that, someone will think of something that wasn't represented. But <laughs> it, it felt like whatever shape you are, you would find something to relate to in this in this uh, Rihanna launch. Oh, Seriously, but- everyone. every Everything from... Paris Hilton down. Yes. Paris Hilton to uh, Shea Coulee, who just won All-Stars. Jada Essence Hall, uh, also another RuPaul's Drag Race queen. Gigi Good, um, she also walked, another Drag Race queen. Um, Lizzo was involved. Demi yeah. Moore was involved. Bella Hadid. It was – but I just realised when I saw them, there was no trick lighting or, or makeup used on the body. It was real bodies. It was – and I realised how conditioned I am – like I was startled by stretch marks and mm. I was like – and I had to really check myself because I'm like, no, that's great. But I realised how conditioned I am to seeing perfect, smooth bodies model and, and sell things to me. Yeah, I know, I, all those years of Victoria's Secret launches. Yes, but in this it was just a joy to watch these real strong, powerful female bodies with – Boobs in different angles and, and nipples in different shapes and ass cheeks and body hair and stretch marks and the cellulite and the jiggling and mm. the total celebration was so fresh. And isn't that sad in 2020? It's really sad. But also, I mean, I, I have to admit when I started watching it, I had no idea. I, I didn't even really know anything about Fenty I, to the extent that what? I didn't even. I didn't. It's her, I, it's her. I know I had to tell you it was her last name. Her name's Robin Fenty in real I, life. Yes, but I, including I didn't even know, like, is this about makeup or laundry? What, what is this just an elbow? What is this? It took me ages. And then and then midway through it, I'm like, oh, okay, she's designing yeah, lingerie. That's what we are here. Yeah. But no, I didn't know anything about it. And subsequently I've read up. But also it's, it's insane and kind of offensive to think it's taken this long for anyone to do it. But also clearly – it's proved to be this profoundly smart business move because mm. she's catering to skin types and skin colors and body mm-hmm. types mm-hmm. that no one else bizarrely in the cosmetics industry is catering to. And she has made so much money Correct. because people were so starved and what Correct. a ridiculous industry that hasn't actually made high-end products and and lingerie designs for the vast majority of the population. How could that have happened? 
Oh, it you don't I can't even begin to tell you how this is the norm. I, I, it's it's even if I just go on to say ASOS or the iconic, all the the models there I I have to try and figure out what it's going to look like on me because the models that are on the online shopping websites now, they don't they, they're all perfect up and down. Mm. I need to see it on someone who looks like me. Otherwise, it's just a guessing game. And how retailers haven't figured out to have a person there, make, sure, have the model as well, but let's can we have a real-life example of this outfit, please, mm. on a size 10, 12, 14 average woman so I know if that seam's going to go up, my vagina flaps or not. You know, like these are important things. <laughs> so I know how high-waisted it is. Am I going to get a muffin top? Is it a mid-rise? Yeah, but is that girl nine foot two and is it going to be that short on me or not? Like I always have to play this horrible guessing game where it could be really easily solved if they just said, oh, this our model is Carla, she's 45, she's size 12 um, and she's wearing a medium. That, that would be amazing for me, but no one does it. No. It's crazy. It's and, crazy. And the, and the standard shape of the models that I use are just so freakish. Like how, how could you possibly tell how the design is actually going to look? On you can't, Michael. Being? And I need to know things like what's the lycra content? Is it going to stretch? Because I've got a booty and a smaller waist. So if it doesn't stretch, I'm going to have this gaping thing at the back. I'll be pulling my pants up all day. There are just certain <laughs> things. I want to see it on a woman with a booty. And these are things that retailers still haven't figured out and the fashion industry are only now figuring out. Like, it was crazy to me. I remember um, the woman from Ghostbusters, is it Leslie, the comedian? Yeah, I know who you mean. <laughs> oh, Leslie. It is Leslie, isn't it? She's a comedian. Yeah, Saturday Night Live lady. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was saying how it's impossible for her to get designers to dress her for red carpets because of her size. And mm-hmm. I found that extraordinary. And then you look around and it is, if, if you're a woman over a size 10 in Hollywood, apparently no designer wants your stuff on them. And then a designer called Christian Siriano started specifically making for plus size women and his business has boomed now. Yeah. Like he's dressing all the, the bigger ladies on the red carpet, all the, you know, the oversized 12s. And now women all around the world who are oversized 12 go to him for formal wear. So it's a smart move. So smart. And it's so tragic that it took you know, basically Rihanna to step into the scene to start making all this happen after so many decades. But I couldn't articulate it till I saw it. I saw a woman with, you know, there was a a girl who was dancing who had a body like mine who obviously was fit and had been fit at some point but maybe had a few kids. And I was looking at her going, oh, that's normal. Like, oh, I feel suddenly feel a bit, oh, it's okay for me to wear bathers and lingerie. I don't have to hide my body away because there's lines on it. Look how proud of their bodies these women are. You know, when Rihanna appeared from a flower, she gave me everything I wanted. You know, she, she, <laughs> she herself, of course, is ticks every box of <laughs> conventional physical beauty. <laughs> but I still appreciated the inclusivity. And the bit that got me as well where we started to go into the section where she was talking about sexuality and everything. And within that, she had a whole lot of people talking about how they were virgins. And, mm-hmm. and like, redefining sexuality, uh, you know, and often people say, oh, I'm doing it for um, me, not other people or whatever, but in, in, in foregrounding people who are happy to talk about their sexuality but who are also virgins is like she is really taking inclusivity mm-hmm. to the absolute next step that, that I, had, I don't think I've anyone, seen anyone else show that kind of commitment to it. No, and, and the, the reason she's trumping Beyonce here is Beyonce is still releasing these perfectly polished, unflawed products out, which is cool and we love it and we consume it. 
But for me, Rihanna has that raw connection to humanity and to people that will endear her further, whereas Beyonce has gone to like deity status, which is totally fine and cool. But that, that's I think the two of them in, exist in such different planes now but have the same amount of impact, one giving us this aspirational kind of polished vibe and the other one giving us this dirty, gritty, pretty scenario. This, and I love it. I love it. Both of the, the aspects, but I know one makes me feel better about myself than the other. <laughs> yeah, I adore both. But, I mean, yeah, Beyonce sort of is striving. I, when I think of her, I think of discipline and perfection, Same. whereas when Same. I think of Rihanna, I think she takes that train off the track sometimes. And she loves it. Most of the and she, time. And I she's think. happy to do it. And I love how she was so stoned she wouldn't take her sunglasses off while she was doing the interviews. Well, she's got that T-shirt on with her bra and she's just like, some days I just don't even feel like getting dressed, guys. I'm like, great, don't. Good. Yeah. And, yeah, commit to <laughs> commit to whatever you feel like. If you want to wear a hoodie, get the biggest hoodie in the whole wide world and wear it. <laughs> it's true. Now, if you want to watch this show that we've gone on about, it's on Amazon Prime and you can also then go and buy the lingerie on Amazon Prime. And it should be pointed out the lingerie in the show is more like it sets a mood, a vibe. It's the extreme. You can get like normal undies that don't have metal clips on the gob Uranus. So I was wondering, did you yeah. actually, amidst all of that, did you find yes. a product within that show that you yes, wanted? Yes, I did. <gasps> I did. I've, I've actually ordered a lavender um, balcony, ba- balcony bra, they're called. Bayonet, ba- not a bayonet, that's a gun. Balcony bra. <laughs> um, yeah, I have ordered one. That's for when d- you go burr. Correct. Use the bayonet. <laughs> I'm going to go burr in my savage bra. Um, <laughs> and then say the I- magpies told you to do it. <laughs> And every listener will understand what happened. It's the magpies did tell me to do it. They did. Uh, yeah, no, there are some nice bras. It's just like like at the Victoria's Secret show. They don't sell the massive wings and the chaps, but it gives you a, like a, a mood, a vibe, a taste, and then you know, and then you go, oh, they're the colours, they're her palette, they're her vibes. So there's stuff there that's very wearable, definitely. And the and the actual show itself is not so much like it's not at all like a Victoria's Secret. It's more. No. Like, it's honestly closer to a Beyonce visual album. That yes. just every once in a while you get a bit of an insight into how she designed these things, but mostly it's just like performances. Oh, it's total Paris Goble, who's the amazing choreographer who did. Um, Yeah, and did her last Fendi show and came to fame doing Justin Bieber's Sorry. She's a New Zealand girl. She's amazing. Um, And she opens the film clip, actually. The choreographer is the first person you see. Now, we should – we can't not – step over the fact that she did have to issue an apology this morning, Rihanna, to the Muslim community after she was dragged for using sacred Islamic verses inside one of the songs. She, um, her producer has come forward and said, look, I put it in there, my bad. I, I didn't know about it. I didn't Google the text. I just mm. found it online, which to me sounded dodgy. But then Rihanna went on to issue a six-part apology to the Muslim community and honestly that's how you apologise. I have to say I'm so impressed with her apology. She admitted responsibility. She said it was a genuine mistake. She thanked people for pointing it out. She's removed it. She's learning and it won't happen again. What, what more do you want? That's you, I hope you showed Scott this is how you do it. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, exactly. <laughs> I want it on Instagram in a slide format. <laughs> honestly, I don't know how many of your partners apologise with caveats. Oh, sorry, but uh, to be fair, da-da-da-da-da. I said to him, no, no. Nah, if your apology includes any of the words but, nah, it's not an apology, bro. Or, or if, I'm sorry if you're upset. Oh, I'm sorry if what I said upset you. <laughs> ah, fuck directly off with your apology. That's not an apology because clearly I am fucking upset. All right. All right, good. Well, no Trump. For now. 
We did it. <laughs> the situation could change drastically and rapidly. It's true. Uh, so, yeah, watch uh, The Fenty Show on Amazon. Watch Song Exploder on Netflix. Only four episodes, guys, and uh, that's it. We'll talk later. Oh, we will. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. This is Emsolation. That's it from us, you lovely humans, you sexy jerks, you incredible, incredible um, uh, wizards. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening. You know, you know, we love you. We love you so much. Another Dilemma Doctors is coming out Friday where Michael and I will solve or make worse someone's problem. You can send yours to us. If you have one, it could be a big one. It could be serious. We can take it. Hello at mrussiano.com. I'm off now. I've got 2% on my computer. I've really got to get this sent now off to Matt, our editor. God, he's good, isn't he? We should take this opportunity to thank Matt Curry, our editor, Tony Kipper, our producer, Ben Wosley, who writes all the intros. They're the three people that work on the show, you know. They don't get any thanks. Here's your thanks, guys. All right, gang, talk soon. Bye.